Our scripture today is Acts 11, 19 through 30. The word of God speaks to us. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of God to us. Awesome. Amen. How are we doing? Good. It's, uh, it's really good to see everybody today. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh Curry. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, it's, it's really fun to be home. Uh, last week, we had our elders and wives retreat. That's something we do once a year. We take all of our pastors and, uh, and their wives, and we get out of town for a week of worship and prayer and playing together and just knitting our hearts back to the reason why we raised our hands and said yes to ministry in the first place, which is Jesus. And uh, it was really fun to get to pray for you guys and contend for the work of God in our church. And then the week before that, I had a really fun week with my wife uh, celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary in Colorado. Thank you. It was awesome. So fun. Uh, I ran a a mountain marathon in a blizzard and my lungs are completely cooked. So I'm going to try to not cough and spit all over you guys, but you can rest assured I won't get you sick. Now we've been walking through first Corinthians and we've been in that book for a couple of months. And today we're going to take a one-week break from 1 Corinthians because this is the time of the year where we do something really important in the life of our church. And and it may not seem important. It may seem simply like minutia or logistics, but it's actually one of the key things we do as a church to try to fight for vibrancy and obedience to Jesus in our city. This is the time of the year where we do membership renewal. We believe in covenant membership, not gym membership that doesn't really matter, but covenant membership where the members of the local church covenant to God and covenant to one another to try to fight for the kind of church that reflects the goodness of Jesus. And it's something we really believe is important. It's something that we really believe matters because we live in a moment where it's so easy, it's so easy to be disconnected from each other and disconnected from the purpose of God and aimless. And membership in the local church is this powerful reminder that you do have a purpose, 
There is a telos of your life or an end for which you were created. And it's not something that you have to craft. It's not something that you have to invent. It's not something that you have to self-author or curate. It's a gift you're given. You're given the gift of purpose in Jesus to figure out what your time on this planet is to be about And then together with a group of brothers and sisters who are also imperfect and often confused and need your help as much as you need their help, we fight together, we fight together to finish the race, to see Jesus face to face. So that's what we're going to do today. So if you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 19 through 30. I'm going to pray for you and ask you guys to pray for me. Uh, Heavenly Father, as Marsha was reading this text, it struck me afresh that you used the pain of persecution to scatter your church all over the world. And I thank you that you don't waste suffering, you don't waste difficulty. I thank you even in the places in this room where we feel pressed and scattered, where there's pain, where there's disappointment, where there's longing, I thank you that those can be places where you meet us and shape us. And I pray today as we look at this text that you would fill us and that you would help us to see what you're doing in the world. And again today, we wanna just offer Frontline Church back to you. It's not our church, it's not my church. We didn't come up with it, we didn't invent it. We're not in charge of it. And we pray that you would do whatever you wanna do among us. We love you so much. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Hey, so today as we kick off membership renewal, instead of like zeroing in on the micro and talking about what it means to be a member of the local church, I want to zoom out and talk about the macro and get a vision for the kind of church that we want to be. The kind of church that our members and our leaders are stacking hands on fighting for in prayer and in service to one another. And I remember back in 2005, when my wife and I planted Frontline Church, we were trying to figure out models for what we wanted to be. There's all kinds of different churches. There's seeker-sensitive churches, and there's charismaniac churches, and there's Bible churches that could do like 30 weeks in the book of James and never visit any widows or orphans. There's all kinds of different models and ideas of what the church is. And in the Midwest, if you even have your eyes partially opened, it's easy to get cynical and jaded about what the local church is. That's why so many people in our city, so many people in our city might have curiosity about the things of God, but skepticism about stepping foot in a church. And so I remember back in the day trying to figure out What's a template? Like, what's a model as we pray and plan and do our best to be responsible with what God's given us? What's a model for the kind of church that we could hope and dream to be? And there was a few things that we looked at. Um, Charles Spurgeon's church in London was a big model for us because that was such a missional church that cared about both reaching non-Christians and sharing the good news of Jesus and forming Christians to love God's word and bless other churches. But the church that most shaped Frontline, the church that's most like the kind of church that we aspire to be, is a church of firsts in the book of Acts. The church at Antioch was the first church that experienced the mission of God jumping from Jews only to both Jews and Gentiles meeting Jesus. It's the first church in the history of the world where Christians were called Christians. 
Followers of Jesus were given that name because they loved Jesus and were trying to obey Jesus, though imperfectly, and the people around them mocking them said, oh, you guys just want to be like little Christ. You're Christians. It's the first church that launched Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And it's a church that had significance through the ages because it's a church that maintained a high level of faithfulness to God's word and God's spirit in the first three centuries of Christianity. So what I want to do today is not anything fancy. It's nothing weird. I I just want to talk about three things. And, And there's like dozens of things in this text. There's all kinds of things that we could talk about. But these are three things that were central to the church at Antioch. And these are three things that we want to be unbelievably committed to as a group of people. These are hills that we're willing to die on. Um, There's stuff that matters, and there's stuff that doesn't matter at all. And when it comes to the things that matter, you couldn't find three more important things for the life of the local church than these three things that we're going to talk about today. So, number one, what does it look like to be a faithful church? Well, the the first thing we see in the church at Antioch, and the first thing that we want to be, that we aspire to be as a church, is a church that's centered on Jesus, not centered in causes, not centered in politics, not centered in man-based religion where we're trying to get to God or do penance or moralism or all the things that can sideline Christians away from the essence of Christianity. The first thing that we want to mark our church is that we are about Jesus, who he is and what he did and what he's doing. And that can seem a little bit vague. That can seem a little confusing. You can hear gospel-centered or Christ-centered and have no idea what that means. And God's really faithful in this text to unpack it with four things. To be a Christ-centered church includes four things. First of all, to be Christ-centered is to have a commitment to share Jesus. People in our city don't need advice They don't need bumper stickers. They don't need pithy sayings. They don't need more social media accounts with stupid tweets going out. What people in our city need, whether they're on the left or the right, whether they're rich or they're poor, men or women, what people need more than anything else is to hear the best news in the universe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this is the first thing that the Antiochian Christians got right. They wanted to tell people about Jesus. Look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as followers Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now this is really interesting because if you look back at the Gospels, after Jesus was crucified in our place for our sins, and after he rose from the dead on the third day, he gathered his disciples and he gave them what's known as the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is this command of Jesus to go into all the world, to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth and to preach the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus and to teach all nations to obey and follow Jesus. And what's really interesting, if you read the book of Acts, it's like the early Christians completely forgot that the message of Jesus was not just for Jerusalem and Judea, but also for the ends of the earth. 
It was almost exclusively in the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts, a Jewish movement. And for the first time, for the first time, and it seems almost like providential accidents that took place, for the first time, because of persecution, there's this handful of people that went to Greek-speaking non-Jews and told them about Jesus. And they did this in the third largest city in the Roman Empire, which is fascinating. Antioch was a cultural and commercial center of its region. It had a mixed population with tons of different cultures. It was super diverse, and it was super pluralistic with over eight pagan temples in their city. There were all kinds of languages and all kinds of cultures and all kinds of beliefs, and there were extremes of wealth and poverty, but these early Christians, when they were persecuted and went to Antioch, they saw the city not through the lens of all the problems and all the needs primarily, but they saw their city through the lens of the goodness of God that's willing to reconcile sinful people to himself through Jesus. What's fascinating is as they preached Jesus, not advice and not moralism, they didn't give in to the temptation to reduce the cross to impress intellectual Greeks because the cross of Jesus is foolishness to the world. And they didn't give in to the temptation to reduce the authority of Jesus or the kingdom of Jesus to get Rome off their back. And they didn't, they didn't reduce the divinity of Jesus to try to reach fellow Jews. And they didn't reduce the exclusivity or the demand for obedience to Jesus to reach pagans. They just preached Jesus. They told people, they told people that God in his son died in our place for our sins, was raised from the dead, is king of kings and lord of lords, and that anyone who trusts in him will be reconciled to God and will no longer be a slave to sin, Satan, and death. And I just want to pause here for just a second. And I want to say, like, the church doesn't have everything right. We, we miss it. We blow it. We get confused. We're sinful people. There's nobody in our city that needs Jesus more than us. And yet, the thing that makes the church powerful and unique in the world is that we've been giving something that every single person in our city desperately needs. We've been giving good news to share with our neighbors. And this commitment, this commitment to sharing Jesus is so much more important than sharing opinions and sharing politics and sharing advice with the world because none of those things can save us. It's only the cross and resurrection of Jesus that can deliver us from the tyranny of sin and death. And what we see next is that they're not only committed to share Jesus, but this is really good news, lest you're getting freaked out that you're not a good evangelist or you don't know enough to open your mouth and tell friends about Christ. They're also empowered by Jesus. It's not their intellect or their eloquence that led to all these people meeting Jesus. It was the hand of God. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord, that's Jesus, was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This is such good news that the heart of our mission lies not in our ability to convince people, but in the ability of Jesus to save people. And this matters. This matters because everything that the church is called to do that's of eternal significance, all of it is beyond our reach as simple human beings. You can't change anybody's heart. You can't resurrect dead souls. 
You can't control the outcome through wit or eloquence or manipulation. This is a picture of complete and total dependence on Jesus to accomplish his purpose in our city. And what's so amazing, what's been so fun this year is to see Jesus bring people back to him. People that walked away that he loves, that he's drawing back. And to see Jesus go after people that don't know him. And to see Jesus use people like you and me to get to share the good news of the gospel so that people can be reconciled to God. One of the things we want so badly as a church is to not rely on our ability to do good planning. Planning matters, but it can't save people. It's not our ability to do good marketing. It's not our ability to have a cool service that changes a city and transforms lives. The thing that people need desperately is an encounter with the living God. And here's what we know. The right hand of Jesus is really powerful. He's powerful to save. He loves the people in your neighborhood more than you love them. He loves people that are bound up in addiction more than you love them. He loves people They're in the grip of depression and hopelessness more than you love them. And our job is to be bold to tell people the good news of Jesus and to leave the outcome to Jesus who is alive, who's at the right hand of the Father and who's working. The third thing it means to be centered on Jesus is that they're also faithful to him. It's not enough to just receive the gospel. We have to abide in the gospel and continue in the gospel. Look what happens in verses 23 and 24. And when he came and saw the grace of God, this is Barnabas visiting the Antiochian Christians. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. I love this. He, he wants to exhort the Christians in Antioch to not drift away for the main reason that they're alive, which is faithfulness to, the Je- to Jesus and steadfast purpose. And, and I want to just pause here for a second. It, it's been really interesting talking to a lot of friends that are combat veterans and trying to understand PTSD and just praying for my son as he graduates from his course and gets deployed as a Marine, just thinking about like all the challenges that face, especially combat vets in the world of PTSD. And it's a complicated topic and it's not a topic I fully understand, but here's one of the things that's really interesting. One of the primary reasons why a lot of our people coming back from war struggle with PTSD is not just the trauma of what they've done or what they've seen. It's the trauma of loss of mission and loss of brotherhood. It's that sense that like, hey man, I had a purpose that was clearly defined. I had a mission that was clearly defined. And now I'm back in the civilian world and I'm drifting and aimless because I don't know what my life's about. I don't know what to aim at. I don't know what markers that I should be striving for. And people get back and they lose that sense of community and mission and they start to drift. And what I want to say is that whether you've served in the military or not served in the military, the thing about that that's fascinating to me is that we live in a moment with epidemic proportions of aimlessness. 
And we aim at all kinds of things, man. We think that like career is going to be the answer or marriage is going to be the answer or vacation's the answer or retirement's the answer or money's the answer. And the, things that's, the thing that's wild about all that is that you have more opportunities to pursue those ends than any people in the history of the world. You have better shots at getting all those things than any people in the history of the world. And we're more anxious, more depressed, and more lost. What Barnabas is exhorting the Christians to remember is that you can't come to Jesus and then use Jesus as a means to an end. If I worship and pray to Jesus, I'll get the stuff I need to be happy or the marriage I need to be happy or the kids I need to be happy or the career I need to be happy. What Barnabas is reminding the Christians of is that their steadfast purpose, the reason they're alive, the reason they're created is to follow, love, and glorify Jesus. And when those other things in life become secondary to the main purpose of life, those things become really beautiful. Marriage and singleness has its place and work has its place and vacations have their place and career has its place. But when those things are first and foremost, what you're gonna find is they become really crappy gods that demand really horrific sacrifices. They gobble up their servants. They don't protect them. When Barnabas exhorts the Antiochian Christians to be faithful to Jesus, he's reminding us, even 2,000 years later, that Jesus didn't die on a cross so that you could get all the stuff you need to be happy. He died on the cross because he's the beginning and the end. And in him, in him, all things were created. And all the things that we can get tempted to chase as primary and ultimate when they become secondary or even tertiary compared to Jesus, you actually are on the ground of finding what it means to live a life that matters. Faithfulness to Jesus. So these early Christians were centered on Jesus by sharing Christ, not advice. They were empowered by Jesus, not their intellect and ability. They were faithful to Jesus. And then I want to mention one more thing in chapter 13. They were a community of worship. They worship Jesus. Look at verse 2 of chapter 13. And while they were worshiping the Lord, these are the leaders of the Antiochian church, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. One of the things I love most about the Antiochian church is they, they, didn't, they didn't play mission and devotion against each other. They realize that to the degree that we are having our affections awakened to Jesus and enjoying Jesus and loving Jesus and honoring Jesus and exalting Jesus, Jesus will work in our lives to launch us and send us into the world with steadfast purpose and with mission. One of the things I want so badly for our church is for the Spirit of God to turn up the temperature on worshiping Jesus that we would love him more and enjoy him more and realize he's better than everything else in our lives. What's really interesting for me is I can get to a beautiful place like Colorado and I can so quickly think that my deepest need is for beauty and splendor. And after a couple of days of that, realize that like my heart feels pretty empty. It's in worshiping Jesus, communing with Jesus, enjoying Jesus that we actually have fuel added to the fire of living a life of faithfulness and purpose in devotion to Christ. So, number one, 
the Antiochian Christians were about Jesus. And we as a church want to be about Jesus. Number two, number two, in addition to that, they were a word and spirit church, a word and spirit church. Finding a local church in America that loves God's word and God's spirit sometimes feels like trying to find a unicorn. Should not be that way. We want to be a people that is biblical in our love for God's word and our dependence on God the Holy Spirit. And I just want to show you two things really quickly. Look at chapter 11, verse 25. This is a picture of their commitment to the word. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a full year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And look at verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here's what this is a picture of. This early church in the first century had this really amazing dynamic where they were committed to life-transforming teaching, sitting under God's word and learning the character of God, the attributes of God, the will of God, the redeeming acts of God, the way that God has given his people songs and prayers and hymns to fuel our souls, to discern the goodness of God and the holiness of God and in that teaching, in that teaching, instead of that then replacing dependence on the Holy Spirit, that teaching with the Old Testament open as they listened to Paul and Barnabas actually did a work in their souls to open their hearts to a deeper receiving of the Spirit of God who empowers that teaching so that we can have timely application of the will of God for our lives. And so there was this weird thing that happened, and it doesn't happen as often as it should anymore, and we need to pray for it. There was this weird thing that happened where there were both prophets and teachers, and instead of hating each other and comparing with each other, and the teachers saying, well, the prophets are too weird, and the prophets saying, well, the teachers are too dry, what we had is this beautiful dynamic where the spirit and the word were both central in the life of the church as God intends it to be. We need God's word. We need his word. We need to know what he says. He wrote us this book to instruct us, to reveal himself. But we also need God's spirit that inspired this word to guide us and awaken us and to give us passion for Christ and love for each other to apply his word in timely ways to the moments of our lives. What I love about this balance this connection is that what they had in Antioch is not like 50% word and then like 50% spirit. Like, you know, don't get too extreme on the word. You could get really dry and heady. Don't get too into theology because that could really mess you up and you could become loveless. And they weren't like, well, and don't get too into the Holy Spirit because you could get super weird and you never know what might happen. You could end up getting on TBN and wearing white suits and pushing people over. The, the thing you see in Antioch is it's not 50% word and it's not 50% spirit. 
like excess of either of those two things would be a bad thing. What it is is 100%. We love and want to know and submit to God's word, and we love God the Holy Spirit. It's been so fun with you guys to see both of those things happen in the life of our church as we've walked through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 for like two months. Why would we walk through the deepest chapters in the Bible on spiritual gifts and go verse by verse and teach through it? Why? Because we want to be a church that's under God's word and empowered and filled by God's spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't obey the word, we can't understand the word, we can't teach the word. And without opening God's word, we won't discern what's the voice of the Holy Spirit and what's the the bad submarine sandwich that I had for dinner last night. (laughs) We need the word and we need the spirit working together to shape and form the church. So first thing in Antioch, They were Christ-centered. They were about Jesus, his message, his life, his rule, faithfulness to him. They were about the word and the spirit, not either or, but both and. And then thirdly, and I love this in this moment in our church, they were driven by kingdom generosity. Kingdom generosity. Don't don't get nervous, like I'm not gonna ask for you to give more. But the kingdom generosity in the church in Antioch was this powerful thing that happened where they didn't start to believe that the money and the teachers and the resources of their church belonged to them. They actually believed that the kingdom of God is bigger than their one church and whatever was in their church belonged to Jesus to bless and serve other churches. This happens in two levels. It happens with strengthening existing churches, and it happens with planting new churches. Look at chapter 11, verse 27. Now, in these days, prophets, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Holy Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, I love that it doesn't say the leaders demanded. It's not the leaders trying to get everybody to give to bless and strengthen a different church. The disciples determined, each one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it with the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. How easy would it have been in the third largest city in the Roman Empire, Antioch, For those Christians to say, hey, you know what? Like the mission field here is so big. The needs of our church are huge. We have poor people in our own city. We have our own problems to worry about. We need to expand our staffing. We need more elders and more deacons. So forget all these other churches. Forget their suffering. That's their problem. Let's just worry about us. But instead of doing that, As the Spirit of God spoke through Agabus, their hearts were awakened to a greater reality that Jesus is the head of the church, and to love and serve Jesus means that we should love and serve other churches in other contexts. This is something that we are passionately committed to as a church. Last week, we invited six to eight lead pastors and their wives from literally all over the world to join us for our elders and wives retreat. And we did that because we want to invest in them and encourage them and love them and serve them. In October, me and a couple of friends are going to get on a plane and fly to Mumbai, India to be with our church plant there to encourage them and find out what their needs are so we can bless them. 
We want to give money and time and resources to churches that we're connected with all over the world as we walk in communion with each other. Why? Because frontline church is not the only thing Jesus is doing in our city or in our world. Can I get an amen? And to be a people of kingdom generosity is to realize that God calls us to not be owners, but he calls us to be stewards. We're stewards of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we're stewards of whatever resources God puts in this church because none of it belongs to us. And let me tell you something really profound and really helpful for all of our pastors is the reminder that none of you guys belong to us as pastors. This is not our building. The money you give is not our money. Every dime that comes into our church belongs to Jesus, and it's our job to prayerfully discern how to steward those resources for the impact of the kingdom of God in Oklahoma City, but also in North Carolina, Southern California, Mumbai, Liverpool, and all the places where God's connected us to bless and love other churches. Now, let me show you one more thing about this. Kingdom generosity is not just strengthening existing churches, but it's also planting new churches. Look at chapter 13 again. So these leaders are worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit says this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Hey, do you know what a big loss would be? Losing the Apostle Paul from your leadership team. <laughs> right? And like, that's not to mention Barnabas. Barnabas, Barnabas might have been more, he was probably a better hang than Paul for sure. You have Barnabas and you have the Apostle Paul, two of the most dynamic, amazing leaders. Barnabas, this guy full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who's just fatherly and encouraging and loves people. And then you have Paul, the greatest theologian in the history of the church next to Jesus. And both of those guys are on their leadership team in Antioch. And then the Holy Spirit says, you know what would be better? To send them out to plant more churches. That would have been such a loss for the local church at Antioch. It would have demanded a gospel goodbye, uh, weeping and tears as those guys were sent away. But listen, those gospel goodbyes are connected to the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is bigger than trying to warehouse people and money and resources in the local church. This is why we work really hard to see healthy community groups grow and then multiply. And I get, how many people have gone through a community group multiplication in our church? Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hand up if it at least partially sucks. <laughs> it's, it's hard, man, to say goodbye to your friends and your group feels great and it would be so much easier to just bar the door to new people and be like, hey man, we, we love this group. We can all fit on my back patio. We don't need to worry about other neighborhoods. Right? How many people remember how painful it was to send Sujith and Cheryl from our church to move to India? Like two of the best people I've ever known. One of my best friends on the planet. Or remember when we planted Frontline Edmond? How many people were here when we planted Frontline Edmond? A few of you guys? And we had like 150 people that were a part of our downtown congregation. It was amazing. That was a time in the life of our church where literally we had people sitting on the floor and sitting in the windowsills. <laughs> it was bananas. It was jam-packed in here, every single service. And we felt like God had called us to plant Frontline Edmond to reach the suburbs. And it was really hard to say goodbye to those guys. 
But listen, being about the kingdom of God is trusting Jesus with the resources that he brought here so that we don't try to hoard and cling, but we release. Over the course of the next three years, we're praying to see this happen again and again. Corey Ferencamp and his wife Lorraine are gonna be sent from Frontline Church in the next two to three years, Frontline Downtown, to go plant a church in Midwest City, Dell City, so that we could be more intentional to reach people around Tinker Air Force Base. We're praying for a lot of you guys when that happens to go with them and plant that new work. And it'll be hard. It'll be hard. We're praying in the next two to three years to plant a church in Norman. There's some good churches in Norman, but Norman's also like a church graveyard. It's like the place where church planters go to apostatize and give up on life. (laughs) And... And we're praying over the next two to three years that God will help us to plant a gospel-centered work in the city of Norman. Guthrie is a weird town. I don't know what the missional code is for Guthrie. It's like hipster, redneck, weird, weird melting pot. You have to like, like bad folk music and also be able to talk Merle Haggard with farmers. So <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird town, man. It's a weird town. I used, to kill, I used to carry mail in Guthrie when I was in college. I was a part-time postal worker. And uh, I remember just walking through Guthrie and trying to figure out that weird, creepy Masonic temple. And there were like three-legged cats everywhere and one-eyed dogs. <laughs> I was very liberal in my use of pepper spray with dogs in the city of Guthrie. I mean, if it was coming at me, it was getting sprayed. It's a weird town, it would be hard, but we're praying over the course of the next three years to be able to send a bunch of frontline church people to go to the city of Guthrie to plant another gospel-centered church there. I don't know what else is gonna happen. God's gonna raise up some of you guys to probably go all around the globe. But being about the kingdom of God is so much better than trying to fight for the comfort and the perception of security that happens when we think that we get to drive what happens in the local church. Jesus will not be controlled. And and here's what's wild. Like, if we think we can control his movement in the earth, he'll just break it up and scatter us so that we get sent against our will. So we want to be in step with what he's doing. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you guys to stand with me. Can we take just a couple of minutes as we start membership renewal? We'll start it in earnest at our members meeting this week and we'll get emails out to all of our covenant members so that you guys can respond. And if you have questions or concerns, we want our pastors to get with you and talk with you. If you're not yet a member of our church, we'll have a membership class coming up right before back to school so that you can explore what it would mean to be a covenant member here. But as we start this process, I wanna take those three things that we see in the Antioch church and just pray that God would do that here. Pray that he would do it here. This is not about our strategy. This is about desire and bringing desire to God so that he can do the work he wants to do. So can you just close your eyes and if you're comfortable, lift up your hands and let's pray for those three things. Father, we pray that Frontline Church, by your grace, would be a Jesus-centered church. Deliver us from being a cause-driven church or a politics-driven church Deliver us from being a moralism-driven church. 
I pray that we would worship Jesus and share Jesus and follow Jesus and be steadfast, steadfast in our purpose to glorify him. God, we pray together that we would be a spirit and word church. God, I pray for more biblical literacy in our church, more hunger to read your word. God, I pray that this would be the first year for a lot of people in this room where they would find the way to be disciplined, to put their butt in a chair and open your word and hear what you have to say. We pray that love for your word would grow in our community groups. And we pray that we would be a spirit-filled church, that you would fill us afresh, that you would distribute gifts, that you would do miracles among us. And we pray that this would be a church marked with kingdom generosity. God, I pray that our regular giving that fuels church planting and care for the poor would grow. You know our needs, Lord. You know that this has been a tight year. We pray that you would help us to be faithful, to bring tithes and offerings for the advancement of your mission. And and sometimes even more difficult than giving money to other churches, God, would you help us to give leaders? God, we pray for the Farron camps and the core team you're gonna raise up, that you would prepare them and anoint them and that you would do a powerful work in Middell. God, not only for military families, but we just pray that hundreds of families at Tinker Air Force Base would be grafted into your church. God, we pray that you would raise up church planters to plant churches in military towns all over the U.S. God, we pray for more church planters to go to the nations. We pray for our friends and partners all over the globe, for Frontline North Carolina and Cornerstone Mumbai and Cornerstone Collective in the U.K., pray for sacred mission in Iowa. We pray, God, that you would help us to feel your love in your heart for these churches. And we thank you for that prophetic dynamic where Agabus prophesied hardship coming and the church was prepared and ready and the disciples determined to give each according to his ability. And I love that it's each according to his ability. That's, it's not like there's a one-size-fit-all dynamic for generosity. So we pray that these things would happen among us. We pray that you would accomplish all your purposes. And we pray that you would meet us in membership renewal. Um, Where there needs to be hard conversations where people are sideways with the church or where they have concerns or disagreement, God, I just pray for adult conversation that we would lean into each other. We pray that you would deepen the membership of this church over the course of this summer. Prepare us for the fall, Lord. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen.